So it was interesting as uh, Pastor Ricky and I were talking, as we were preparing this series, um, he was preparing the series, we just were kind of discussing where I could fit in and how I could help. Um, so we came upon, you know, the series is Swing a Sword, and this is going to be part eight. And this part of the series, this, this talk today, I'm going to talk about is when your soul is on trial, when your soul is on trial. And you know, up to this, uh, up to today, um, we've had some fantastic guest speakers, and it's been really enjoyable to see different personalities, different presentation styles. It's been fantastic, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Pastor Ricky back next week. Um, so anyway, as Pastor Ricky and I were discussing uh, the topic for today, he just said, Don, what scriptures are really coming to mind? What, what's, what's really percolating? And the scripture that percolated with me, and I don't understand why, but it was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18. And if you could put that up here. And since we are talking about swinging your sword and memorization of scripture, I want to show this scripture many times throughout the talk today so you can kind of get yourself uh, familiar with it. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And when that scripture came to mind, I didn't realize how much depth, how much richness there was in this scripture. I just, that's what God put on my heart, and I shared it with Pastor Ricky real quick. But the more I studied this, the more insights I got, and I had pages of notes. This topic alone, this, this scripture could be a series in itself, and I've seen Pastor Ricky talk on each part of it individually before. And what I was realizing is that each of these, the rejoicing, the praying, and giving thanks, they seem to influence each other. It's kind of like a package deal. And everything today is like bundled together. We'll get our internet, our phone, our, our uh, television bundled together. Well, these three things seem to go together. They seem to be a bundle. But before I, uh, set this, before I jump into this, I'd like to set the stage, though, just kind of like where this scripture comes about. Why is this scripture being spoken? And this was Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And just to understand, Thessalonica was a large city, and it was a Roman capital of the province of Macedonia. And Pastor Ricky has shared a, a map with you before how Macedonia is laid out. And Paul's purpose for this letter was to praise the new converts for their perseverance, and also to encourage them in their trials. See, as being new converts, they were, being, they were going through a lot of heavy trials. And as the scripture unfolds, as the letter unfolds, we get to this section called the final instructions. And that's where we're going to pull up their scripture from today. But it's interesting, Paul's, uh, as he wraps this letter up with the final instructions, he makes like a laundry list of things that we should do. And how many of you have children in here? Several of you. Have you ever made a laundry list for them to do when you're heading out of town? Like, what are some things you tell your kids that you like them to do, that you write down for them to do? What are some things that you would tell your kids? Take care of the garbage. Do your chores. What else would you do? Feed the dog. <laughs> Take care of the dog. Yeah, help, help each other. And encourage each other. Don't fight with each other, right? Treat each other nice. Those are a lot of things that we tell our kids as we are leaving. And it's interesting because Paul talks a lot about that also in his final instructions here. He mentions, first of all, that we should acknowledge those who, are hard, who work hard among us and who care for us in the Lord, such as Pastor Ricky and Carissa. Take care of them. Recognize them. Help meet their needs. He says, live in peace. He says, don't be idle. 
what was happening is they, they were believing Christ was coming back so soon, they weren't working anymore. They just were expecting they're going to heaven right away. He's saying, don't be idle. He's saying, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. He said to be patient with everyone. He said, don't repay wrong with wrong, but strive to do what is good to each other. So he had a nice laundry list of things that are still pertinent to us, pertinent to us today. But as he goes on with the scripture, it comes into our scripture today, 1 Thessalonians 15, 5, 16 through 18. Again, I want to share you. He says now, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to pause here for a minute. Because I really need to be transparent with you here. And I always, I always chuckle when I use the transparent. A lot of people say, hey, can I be honest with you? And I'm thinking, why are you prefacing it? Can I be honest with you? Have you been lying to me up to this point? <laughs> no, 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 just keep lying to me. Go ahead. I wouldn't know any different. No, I want to be transparent here with you. I had a real difficult time with this scripture. I had a difficult time with this scripture, and I'm just wondering if that's why God brought that scripture to mind for me. I'll give you a little story. We had a wedding recently. My oldest daughter, Alexa, got married to Jake recently, as we shared that before with people. And I was rejoicing. I just was so pleased and happy. I was praying over them. I was excited for it. I was just praying for a blessed wedding, just a blessed future for them. I was thankful for what all God has done and how he brought them together and how he helped us with everything. But what's interesting, through the course of the wedding, we had a little situation that arose with the photographer that I wasn't really happy with some things that were being done. So he and I had to, had, to, had to kind of step aside and have a discussion during this wedding. And our discussion allowed me to realize that I wasn't rejoicing when I was talking to him. I definitely wasn't praying when I was talking to him. And I wasn't being thankful at all when I was talking to him. We were having a high-level discussion about some subjects, about some subject matter. In my flesh, I wanted to rip into him because I was not happy. But I noticed that as I was standing there, I was holding on to the table as hard as I could just so I wouldn't get out of hand. And I bring that scripture up because wouldn't it be nice, I'm bringing the story up because wouldn't it be nice if this scripture would have really read, rejoice when we're happy, you all can do that, rejoice when you're happy. Pray when you can. If the scripture was written, pray when you can. And give thanks in good times. Wouldn't that make more sense if the scripture was written that way? How much easier would that be to follow that scripture? But in reality, Paul, that's not what Paul penned. He commanded us to do something that, was, that I think is stretching us outside of our comfort zone. And one of the things I noticed during that discussion I was having with that photographer is I gripped that table. I was noticing that words and phrases were coming to me. And as I was sharing this discussion points, I was noticing I had self-control. I was noticing the Holy Spirit was giving me actually what to say. And what it dawned on me is that um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, well, so is joy. Joy is also a fruit of the Spirit, which means we can be handling something unpleasant at the time and still have joy. In unpleasant circumstances, you can still have self-control. In unpleasant circumstances, we can still have joy. See, joy isn't an emotion, but it's a powerful spiritual force. Share this on 
on the uh, screen here. Joy is an inner spiritual force based upon our hope, faith, and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. I believe that might be one of your fill-ins. See, our joy is not based on the world. It's based on Christ. It's on the overflow of the gladness and the love of Jesus Christ. See, we attend, I don't know if you do, I might be, out, maybe speaking for people here, but let, from my standpoint, what I believe is that a lot of times we confuse joy with being happy. See, being happy, it's actually usually based on positive circumstances. Rick Menino and I were talking about this one Sunday, about the difference between happiness and joy. A lot of times people are happy because it's a positive circumstance. It's a feeling or a good mood, and it can be influenced by our joy. Happiness can be influenced by our joy, but happiness does does not dictate our joy. Happiness does not dictate our joy. Have you ever noticed that when we tend to be happy, we're rejoicing? We were really happy when things are going our way. But how do we respond when things aren't going our way? What are our words and our actions when things aren't favorable? And see, this is where the tension arises, when things aren't going our way. How do we respond when our soul is under trial? How do we respond when our soul is under trial? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a season when your soul's under trial and you're worried and you're stressed? Some of you might be in a season like that right now. I mean, you might be worried over something that's going on with your family. You might be having some issues with your children right now. It might be a spouse issue you're dealing with. You might have some health issues you're dealing with. There's some serious health challenges people go through. You might have some stress with your job. I think a lot of us have stress with our jobs at times. Or it just might be a relationship outside of your family that you're struggling with. I don't know what trial your soul is on, but I don't want to minimize anything that you're experiencing because whatever you're going through, your perception, it's difficult for you. Understand that. However, these verses, they're powerful, and Paul put them here for a purpose. I mean, have you ever noticed that when our soul's under trial, we'll have a tendency to start grumbling and complaining? Has anybody ever done that? Certain words come out of our mouth, just a few of you. The rest of you are holier than now, huh? Is that it? Okay. Or, or we start wondering, hey, we, we might even start wondering where God is. Have you done that before? You might wonder where God is. Or we start looking to other people or other places for the answer. And see, I've done this also. But what I realize is that's temporary. That's transient. It's a temporary relief. It doesn't bring about the total peace that Jesus wants us to have. And I want you to realize, too, Jesus wasn't always happy. You know, we think we see him drawn in our books growing up in our Bibles, the kids' Bible, and everything is always happy. Jesus was not always happy. He wept. He was angry. He had emotions. And you're going to have to agree with me here that his trials were extremely severe, more severe than what ours were. Let's look at a scripture here. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to notice how joy spurned him on. Joy, joy 
pushed him forward. It gave him the strength to go forward. It's what allowed him to accomplish what, he had, what his mission was. And see, these verses here, I think they house both the reason why we need to be joyful always as well as how to do that. So first of all, let's talk about the reason why. Why should we be joyful? We should be joyful because the joy, joy propelled Jesus on, joy is the strength of the Lord. And we look at Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy strengthens us and energizes us. It's what gives us hope. See, what do you need when your soul's on a trial? When you're being beaten down and weakened, what do you need? You need strength, you need joy. And see, joy is a powerful spiritual force. It's gonna lift you up and it's gonna bring you hope. And realize hope is the seedbed of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope isn't a wish, hope isn't a, is a uh, urgent, intense expectation of something good. It really bubbles forth when you have joy. But how do we get the joy in the midst of that trial? So here's a couple key points from that scripture. When we look at that scripture, the first thing we need to do, it says, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. I was talking to a gentleman who uh, rides dirt bikes, and he was talking about some of the mountainous courses that he rides on. And he said that he has to keep his eyes on the course, on the path, because if he looks towards a tree on a turn, he'll find his motorcycle gravitate towards that and he'll wreck. He has to watch what he focuses on so he doesn't wreck. In that scripture, it also says consider. And I wrote this down. I wanted you to the definition here. Consider means to think carefully, to ponder, to meditate upon. It's to roll around in your brain, to really think about things. It's to murmur those things. See, we are to focus in on who Jesus is and ponder what he did for us, what he endured and what he bought us through the cross. Because this is a key truth. Because of the joy Jesus had, we can have joy also. Now support that with another scripture. John 15, 11. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Again, it's always because the joy Jesus had is that the reason we can have joy. As I was researching this, I, I, found a, I came across a couple commentators. One commentator mentioned this, and I wanted to share this with you. They pull this up on the screen. Rejoicing always is conscious attitude of contentment and hope that come from deliberately focusing in on Christ and the eternal reason we have received freely from him. It's contentment, it's, that, it's a peace understanding what our eternal rewards are gonna be. Another pastor, Rick Warren, also stated this, and I wanted to share this with you. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all details of our life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And one last pastor that I like also, John Piper, he stated this, and this isn't up on the board, I'll just read this to you. We have to fight for joy in the Lord. 
We see this often in the Psalms. The Psalm can begin with the psalmist crying out to God for help in the midst of a life-threatening trial. But by the end of the Psalm, he's praising the Lord and rejoicing in him, even though his circumstances haven't changed. And I really like the psalmist and the prophets of the Old Testament. And in Hebrews, it says, always look back at what they've done and try to intimidate, imitate them. Well, one thing we also have is that we have folks in our church here that also are going through things in life and how they handle themselves are inspirational. We have a couple that's at a distance that plugs into our, our small group uh, via um, Zoom. And they'll attend whenever they're here, when they're snowbirding, but they're in another location when, uh, during the rest of the year. But one of the things that happened is that uh, she started to have some falls and they found that she had uh, a tumor in her brain. And during that process, they also found that she has cancer. So she's going through a lot of life situations, but you know what? She rejoices in the Lord. She rejoices always. She's always positive, and she's always putting something out on Facebook to encourage other people. See, we have people like that in the midst of our congregation that we can look to. We don't have to just look back at the Old Testament. We have people in here right now who are overcoming who have the joy of the Lord. So as we go forward with this scripture, it also, Paul also says that we need to pray continually. And again, I'm gonna be upfront with you here, be very transparent. I had some tension when I was looking at this. How do you pray? How do you pray continually? Have you ever thought that? How do we pray continually? As busy as we are, how do we find the time to continually pray? Before I dive into that, though, I think it's always important that we first talk about the why before we talk about the how. First thing is, I want you to realize, I want you to see that prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. Do you realize the advantage you have as a Christian that the world doesn't have? You can literally go directly to God. You can access the creator of this earth, the creator of the world, the person, the, the God who created you. You have direct access to him. We have a privilege in prayer. What's the world got? A buddy? A guru? Some new age counselor? What do they have? See, we have a privilege. And we need to realize just how blessed and privileged we are See, Pastor Ricky talked about um, a few months ago when he was talking about uh, Matthew 6.33. He was just talking also about how God sees us as very important. He values us. And I want you to realize God sees us as a VIP. God sees us as a VIP. And Jesus is the one who bought us backstage access. Jesus bought us backstage access. Has anybody ever gone to a concert and they bought the VIP backstage pass, the package? couple of you? Yeah. Is it, is it, it's great to have access to people behind the scenes, isn't it? So we, we were going to the Newsboys concert one time, and I bought the girls, my family, I got us the backstage passes. So we were able to get in, we, had, we were able to pass the lines and go get uh, reserved seats. We were able to go ahead and listen to what they had gone through in life and some things they've learned, and they could share their story. We gathered more information from them, and we felt closer to them because we had that backsta backstage access. We felt more connected with them when we saw them on stage. But what's better for us through prayer? We have the same access to God where we can tap into his thoughts and his directions. He can lead and guide us. 
Prayer with the Father connects us and it brings us closer to him. It can influence all of our decisions in our life. Have you ever heard, if your parents ever talked to you about the power of association? Or have you talked to your children about who you associate with is very important? Folks, we get to associate with the God of the universe in prayer. Why would we neglect that? Jesus bought you backstage passes. Why not access them? Don't just leave them sitting at the table. The, you stay more connected with God in prayer, and the more connected you can become, the more intimate the relationship. Prayer is the language of trusting the Lord. Prayer is the language of trusting the Lord. Look, sometimes we think we're just too busy to pray. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe prayer saves you time. Charles Spurgeon, he stated this, and I put this up on here for you because I want you to see this to be able to read it. If we have no time to pray, we must make it for if God has given us time for secondary duties, he must have given us time for primary one. Drawing near to him is primary. See, a lot of us put our jobs as, as primary and God as secondary. We need to flip that. Prayer needs to be primary. I look at this, prayer's just as important as breathing. You need to breathe to live, you need to pray to live. Prayer is just as important to our spirit as breath is to our body. You gotta pray even if you don't feel like it. Listen, when I was going through throat cancer a few years ago and I went through those radiation treatments, my throat was nothing but blisters and open sores. I had no taste buds. It, it, just, it was difficult to eat. I didn't feel like eating. But thank God for my wife, she made me eat. I ate anyway because I had to sustain my body. I had to eat. You gotta pray because your spirit needs it. You might not feel like it, but you need to be praying anyway. Pray continuously because prayer impacts things. How many of you have prayed for something before and you saw God move in that arena you prayed? Raise your hands. Absolutely, almost everybody in here. Let me tell you a story. 30 years ago, I'm a newer Christian and uh, I, had, I had dated quite a few people before that time period, and I kind of got a little frustrated with the, the dating uh, scene where you invest your time and money and just nothing really comes out of it. And I said, God, I'm just not gonna date for a while. I just need to take a break. And about that time, I remember walking through a mall and I happened to look into a record store at the time, a music store, and there I happened to see this beautiful young lady and I thought she was the prettiest thing I've ever seen, a vision. And I just thought about it and it logged in my mind. I thought, oh yeah, I don't know her and she'll never go out with me. And I just walked on and just did my thing. So spending a few more months with the word, I just felt in my spirit, I'm like, you know, God, I think it's time that I need to get serious now. I think it's I'm at that age that I really wanna have somebody to settle down with. But Lord, but Lord, just to make sure I know I've got the right one, could you let her speak to me first? So I threw my little Gideon fleece out just to make sure I found the right one. So I remember, it might have been a few weeks after that, I show up and I go into this music store because I'm looking for some Christian music to purchase. And up comes this be 